Hello, you lovely people. I'm Sam. She's Paige. Hey. Hey, What's up? And with the power of dumbassery, we are M-Cubed, or M3, Murder, Mystery, and Mayhem. With our squirrely, chaotic energy, we love to do research on cases that make you laugh, cry, and of course, make you go full T-Rex. You know, the level of uncomfortable that makes your arms retract and head attempt to be one with your shoulders. And obviously, the only vocalization is, RAAAAH! <laughs> <laughs> Find us on all the major podcast platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Join us in our dumbassery every Thursday! Seriously, come join us. We're back today. This is episode 22 of True Crime B&B. Yes, and before we started, we did just want to give a huge shout out to our friends. Mm -hmm. First, we wanted to say thank you to Picture the Scene. They are a podcast out of Ireland, and they gave us a really nice shout out on Mm -hmm. their episode this week, and we're really grateful, and we just wanted to say thank you. Yeah, so if you have a chance, go check them out. You can also find them, Picture the Scene, on Instagram. Mm Mm-hmm. And also, we wanted to say thank you to Creme de la Crime. She's a single woman podcast that is really good. She does really good research. She is the nicest person. So if you can go find either of those two podcasts or both, please follow them and give them a chance because I think you'll like them if you do. And also, I want to remind you, you just listened to the trailer for M-Cubed, Murder, Mystery, and Mayhem. And we have recently become buds with them, and they're really funny, they're awesome, and they do a great job. So please also give them a listen. And with that... I think that's all we have for the beginning portion. I think so. We didn't say our names. I'm Beth. And I'm Bailey. And I'm the mom. I'm the daughter. And <laughs> the cat's under my chair, so we're all we're all happy little family here As today. As per usual. Yep. <laughs> Okay. Bailey's first today. And I'll go ahead and kick it off. Well, so, don't kick me. Just kick it. I'm going to kick you after. Oh, jeez. Oh, I'm not going to kick you Okay. I'm going to start out. This story takes place in North Dakota. All right. So it's one of the states we... Yeah, it's our target state. One of our target states. <laughs> Why are you forsaking us, North Dakota? They're holding out, but I think we're going to try to... We're going to reel them in. All right. Let's okay. reel them. Let's reel them. <laughs> I'm going to tell you about a woman named Anita Knutson, who was born on September 22, 1988, in Orange County, California. However, she was adopted at the age of six months, and she ended up living in Velva, North Dakota, with her adopted family. Mm-hmm. She was the oldest of three siblings. Her younger siblings were named Anna and Daniel. She went on to attend Velva High School, and then graduated from there. Afterwards, she ended up studying elementary education at Minot State University in Minot, North Dakota. On top of going to school full-time there, she also worked at a hotel and had recently found herself a new group of friends to surround herself with. So she had her roommate that she lived with currently. They had gone to high school together back in Velva, so they just roomed up because they were both going to the same college. And then she had all these new friends she was meeting at work, at school, Mm -hmm. and she just had people she was constantly, not really home a lot, honestly. All right. She had just finished her freshman year of college in 2007. On June 4th, 2007, it was like the first 
weekend of summer. Mm-hmm. So she was excited. Now finally she had kind of a break. She was still working full-time at the hotel, but now she had nights off and stuff. On June 4th, 2007, it was a Monday, and Anita's father, Gordon, was unable to get a hold of her after the entire weekend. He had been calling her, texting her, and then asked her younger siblings, have you talked to her? And they hadn't either. And this was really uncommon, because like I told you before, she was really close. All of her siblings had been adopted, but they'd grown up together, and this was... Super tight. Super tight family, and they just had that bond. Right. They became concerned, and her father drove about an hour away where he was currently living to her apartment that she shared with her roommate, which was just off of campus. And when he got there, he discovered that her car was parked outside in the parking lot, just a few yards away from the front entrance of her apartment building, but her front door was locked. So he kept knocking, kept knocking, she wasn't answering, hadn't heard from her, and her car's here. So now he's like, I'm gonna get a hold of the apartment manager and see if they'll let me in with a spare key, because this doesn't feel good. Right. The apartment manager let him in, and unfortunately, he discovered his daughter had been brutally stabbed to death in her bedroom. So. It's, it's awful as a parent to have to mm-hmm. get that news, but to have to discover that yourself. I, know. I can't even imagine the the thoughts in your head. <sighs> Horrible. I don't even have anything to say because just this whole story is so terrible. <laughs> she was found laying face down on her bed with a robe placed on top of her. So that kind of gave them the illusion somebody she had known had done this. Right. Not to mention her front door was locked. They had to get the apartment manager to come open it. Yeah. There was no sign of a scuffle, no fight, nothing knocked over, nothing rummaged through. Even her electronics, her computer, her cell phone, everything was still there where it had been. Okay. The bloody knife also was still found laying in the apartment. It varied. Either it was found disposed of in the sink or they had just left it on the bed where she'd been attacked. It wasn't clear which way it was. It wasn't clear. I have heard, depending on the source, where it was found. After they started investigating the scene, it was determined that Anita had been killed sometime Sunday morning, so June 3rd, and her father had found her afternoon of June 4th on Monday. Like I said, apartment had been locked, nothing had been stolen. Her roommate, Nicole Thomas, was away on a trip for the weekend, and she was staying at her parents' house. They had a farm back in Velva where the girls were from. Okay. And they had confirmed, yeah, she was with us all weekend. So they just said, all right, not her. And then as they investigated further into the scene, they found the screen to Anita's bedroom, which was right above her bed, the window, mm-hmm. had been sliced out and then pulled out and was laying on the ground outside. Right. So it appeared that's how whoever did this got in there. So police began to look into everyone close to her, including close as in... They talked to her a lot, their friends, their family, and just in proximity, like the neighbors, even the maintenance worker in the complex. And the maintenance guy that worked there was actually looked into so heavily, he later, I believe, 2010, he ended up committing suicide because people were accusing him so heavily of being the person who perpetrated this crime. Was he later cleared? He had nothing to do with this, yeah. Oh, wow. That's just... One of the many things that this led to. Oh, wow. Everybody ended up coming back clean, and they did have fingerprints and DNA at the time, but they weren't saying if they had any matches to who. They just couldn't arrest anybody based off of it. Mm -hmm. And everybody else had legitimate alibis. So it kind of went cold after this. So I have a quote from Anita's younger sister because she said it best. 
In 2015, she gave this quote, so nine years after her sister's murder, she said, What haunts me the most about the death of my sister is that whoever killed her also took the life of my brother that very day. He was never the same. He committed suicide on April 9th, 2013. Oh my god. It's a horrible story. I mean, it's just destroyed that family. Her poor dad not only lost her, but his son. Yes. And he was younger, right? So he was probably still in high school. He was, at the time she was murdered in 2007, Anita was 18, Anna was 15, and her brother Daniel had just turned 16, I believe. He had to go pick up Anna. That's how I know that he was just older than her. Awful. It is all awful. So this case from 2007 remained completely cold for 15 years until literally now. Oh my god. Just now this happened. And I will give you a heads up. We don't have the finished story. I will keep you updated and I have this bookmarked in my pages in Google searches to come up if anything happens. Yeah. But in March of 2022, police officially arrested Anita's former roommate, Nicole Thomas. Um, it's another one of those damn it's stories. It's another one of those goddamn stories. where If you, you don't just... want to be some friends with somebody, then stop being friends with them. But you don't get to kill them because you're mad at them for mm-hmm. something. What the hell? Nicole Thomas, previously, she is now known as Nicole Rice because she just got to go on and live her life after this. She went ahead and got married in, I think it was December of last year, so 2021, and has children now, was working at a government on the base of an army base or something like that. And she had been background checked and everything to work here and nothing ever came up. But didn't she have an alibi with her family that weekend? Yeah, and I'll kind of discuss that a little bit. I told you before, both girls had gone to Velva High School together and then decided to get an apartment the following year as they started college. At the time of the murder, Nicole had told police that she was away for the weekend at her family's farm in Velva. Mm -hmm. Nicole's family had confirmed this, saying that she had been there from 7 o'clock June 2nd, so that was on Saturday, to the morning of June 4th, which was the day that she was found. So, which is convenient that... She was murdered on Perfect the third. Timing. Yeah, so right in that time frame. However, other witnesses later came forward and they actually confirmed that on the night of June 2nd, so she was supposed to have already been at her parents' house at this point, yeah. Nicole was seen at a campus bar both on camera and by witnesses drinking late into the night and then early in the morning on the third the day that anita was murdered nicole told people at the bar that she was going to go back to her apartment and change clothes and then come back out and they hadn't seen her for the rest of the night so it does make sense that june 3rd she'd been out partying the night before late into the morning and then she got back to the apartment maybe got in an argument with anita of some sort and then ended up doing this Obviously, her family covered for her if that's yeah, the case. that's just bullshit. That's yeah. just bullshit. So police at the time had known about these witnesses, and they hadn't had the footage from the bar yet, but it didn't. It wasn't enough to arrest her. Because, they again, they had fingerprints, they had DNA, but it's of the other person that lives in this house. Right. So, so you can't necessarily Unless there's say, blood on her dead body that's, yeah. that belongs to Nicole. Right, and so they, I don't think they found anything on the knife itself, which would be the only proof that she 100% had something to do with this. So so she cut the screen to make it look like she mm -hmm. had somebody else break it? And then just casually locked the door and left. How did a drunk person think to cut the screen out and throw it outside? Well, they said that she left the bar at like 2 a.m., right? 
and was back at the apartment changing or whatever. And then apparently Anita had sent her last text message to another person at around 5 o'clock June 3rd that morning. Okay. To me, it sounds like either Nicole sent that message and not Anita or she's had time before Anita was murdered to sober up a little bit. Yeah. And think, oh shit, what do I do to cover my tracks now? Yeah. So that's my best guess. But again, this is ongoing, so this is really all we have right now. Wow. What took so so long for those people to come forward? Well, they had come forward, so those people that I just told you about seeing her at the bar. the witnesses did. Yeah, they had said we saw her, and the police had DNA, but it wasn't enough to get an arrest warrant, unfortunately. Wasn't it enough to get the footage from the bars? I guess not. Either that or maybe they just didn't, finally didn't announced. Maybe. Maybe. It was a really small town. It's like, really surprising that that much later that they would have even still had that footage. Oh, I think the police had it in custody. I think oh. that's why they still had it. I don't think the bar had it after all this stuff, you know? So yeah. they must have had this. Okay. And just didn't think that was enough to go forward with a warrant. I don't know. It's all still coming to light. <sighs> Nicole had told police at the time that she and Anita were best friends and had not a single complaint to make about her, that they were in good spirits all the time. However, at a party in 2008, now these witnesses just came forward. At a party in 2008, many witnesses described hearing Nicole, who was drunk off her ass once again, call Anita, reminding you, this is after Anita's murder. This is a year after she was murdered. Okay. So she's... Nicole is now drunk at a party one year after her roommate is murdered, calling and referring to Anita as a fucking bitch and a fucking little cunt who deserved to die. Oh, holy crap. And then apparently she said this and then confessed to her boyfriend at the time that she had done it. Like, oh, you got me. I did it. All this stuff. While she was drunk, she confessed While she was drunk. And then he tried to bring it up later after she was sober. And she got mad and, like, slammed the door in his face, threw a big hissy Hmm. fit. And then once they broke up, he was like, you guys might want to know about this to the police. Yeah, I think they might, might have wanted to know about it when you talked about it the first time. Yeah, yeah. Christmas. Finally, they got that boyfriend and all these witnesses coming forward in 2022. So they went back and started reinvestigating, reinterrogating everybody involved. And finally, March 16th, 2022, Nicole Rice was arrested at the age of 34 years old for after 15 years of getting away with this for a class AA murder, which I looked up. I had to read a lot of law stuff on North Dakota. <laughs> but apparently in North Dakota, that's the same as first-degree murder. is a double-A felony. Okay. And she is currently facing life in prison. However, the trials have been put off. They were supposed to begin in May of this year. However, apparently they have dug up even more evidence wow. that they are not releasing to the public yet. And they have said in the public statement they made that after interviewing Nicole, she ended up giving more information about what the crime scene and everything that nobody in the public even knows. Wow. And she had never even got to see the crime scene, so that wouldn't make sense. Trials are officially beginning in August of this year, so I will keep you guys updated if I see anything new, but I'm just happy that the family finally has an answer. And this monster of a person is... Yeah, and just how heartbreaking is that if you're her family Mm -hmm. who's looked at this girl as being your daughter's best friend for like a decade and all of a sudden this is who took your daughter away from you well the spokesperson of the family has been her younger sister anna because she's the one who's been fighting for this 
the whole time. And she said the whole time. She didn't list Nicole as a suspect until now. But she said the families but had their eye on her this entire time. They knew she had something to do with it. Wow. And it's, there wasn't enough evidence. They didn't have enough witnesses willing to testify. I don't and, know. It seems to me like if they had pursued her when they found out she lied about her alibi. Yeah. And if they had footage of her lying about her alibi. Mm-hmm. That seems like enough to pursue that further and get DNA from her. You would think. Plus, the door being locked is kind of fishy. Well... Who else would be able to lock the door from the outside? Well, that's what I was thinking. Well, I did see a couple of articles that mentioned that only four people total had had a key to that apartment. There was Anita. There was Nicole. There was the apartment manager who had the key and let the dad in. And then there was the maintenance worker who, who ended up taking suicide. his own life because he was blamed. And I think that kind of him committing suicide kind of off-railed the investigation into Nicole because a lot of people said, oh, he must be guilty because he killed himself. Yeah, or maybe he's just in a terrible limelight that he never asked for or and didn't do anything to deserve. Maybe he's in a small town and is now being accused of murdering this poor sweet girl who yeah. had her whole life ahead of her. Yeah, that would make anybody crazy you know yeah what a sad story that poor family and then they lost their son too Mm -hmm. just tragedy after tragedy it's just awful and i'm not saying for sure nicole did this because like i said she hasn't been convicted yet the trials are ongoing i'm not 100 saying i'm just saying so far it looks like this is a pretty good suspect and they have a lot of legitimate reason to bring her to court for this it sure looks that way to me too yeah i would say they probably found their person. And she's just gotten married. I accidentally stumbled upon her wedding registry. Oh, really? In all of the she pictures. She asked for a set of knives? Exactly. There literally was. Oh, my God. No way. Just, like, there literally was like a bunch of kitchenware. And I'm like, how fucking creepy. And all the smiling pictures of her and her wedding party. I'm, I can't believe what these people are going through now, too. Do you she's know just, what is amazing is how... People can make such a horror mm-hmm. and destroy people's lives. I mean, she destroyed the lives of the whole family. She basically took three lives. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then she's just going on about her life like nothing ever happened. These people are psychopaths. And it's not to say that she didn't feel anything about it. She didn't regret it. Because like, clearly she did. Every time she got drunk in front of anybody, she would be like, I did it. Okay, I did it. But yeah, and then just, she was cussing about what a terrible person Nicole was. To justify to herself, probably. Oh, she deserved Sorry, it. Sorry, what a terrible person Anita yeah, was. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I totally missed her saying that too. But it's just, it's just bonkers maddening. that you could just go on and get married and just... Yeah. Come celebrate me at this event. You don't deserve that. How do you not feel that in your bones? Like, I don't deserve this. Yeah. It reminds me of the one where the, the best friend strangled her with her own belt. Mm-hmm. And the only concern she had was, well, gosh, how do I get that photo off Facebook now? Yeah, and she was even posting on Facebook. Well, so was this girl. They had Facebook posts from back in 2016. So many years almost a decade after her friend was murdered by her, she's posting, Oh my god, I'm so mad everybody keeps saying that I did this. I'm such a victim too, you know? She literally said that in a Facebook post. Makes me want to barf like puss. (laughs) 
Because she's yeah. shedding like it's crazy. Shedding season. She's a Maine Coon, and she's got huge balls of hair falling off of her, and we can't brush her fast enough, so she's barfing everywhere. She thinks she's being polite by saving us from having to sweep up the fur balls, but we'll take that over the vomit-covered fur balls any day. Just come to us with your poofs sticking out, and we'll brush them off of you. Seriously, we're trying. Oh my goodness. So cheer me up, please. Well, mm-hmm. I have a mystery today. Okay. I love my And mystery. it's a mystery that appears to be solved, but there's a twist. Okay. A little bit of a preface. Growing up in the U.S., I never really had to understand all the rigid class structures, like in Victorian England, mm-hmm. you know, with all the titles and all the ranks and all that stuff. But my story takes place in 19th century English aristocracy. And okay. so I kind of looked into it a little bit. So I'm just going to give you the very fastest rundown possible. Okay. There's the royalty which is obviously the royal family. Mm-hmm. And some of the people who work for them, I think, are considered to be just below their level, like right. the, the people who run the palace. Then there's the nobility, and those are the people like the dukes and the marquesses and the earls and the viscounts and the bishops and then barons and lords of parliament. Okay. Kind of in that order. And then there is... The gentry. Gentry classes consist of lots of complicated levels I'm not going to get into because it depends on your birth order and all that kind of stuff. But basically, the person we're talking about is a baronet. And a baronet is lower than a baron, but it's higher than most knights, except for a couple of exceptions. Gotcha. The knight of the thistle and the knight of the garter, and I don't know what that means, but I know that they're higher than a baronet. (laughs) They're important. (laughs) (laughs) They are. They're important somehow. So you've got the royalty, the nobility, the gentry, and then the commoner. Okay. And if I missed anybody in there, my UK friends, I apologize. But like I said, I'm just learning. I did watch all of Downton Abbey. I I should know some of this, but I don't. Yeah, I was in my mind thinking the characters of Bridgerton. So I don't trust Bridgerton. I don't either. I don't believe it's historically accurate. <laughs> Let's go back in time to the 1800s right. when these ranks were ironclad. I mean, this was big time important stuff. And I think it still is to some extent, but not like it was back then. Mm-hmm. So let me just oversimplify by saying that being a member of any of these classes was a very big deal in society, and most people would have done just about anything to move up a class or two because their life would have been more opulent and more fancy. Roger Charles Tichborne was born in 1829 into an aristocratic gentry-level family as the son of a baronet in Hampshire. His family were large landowners, and they had an extensive estate. He spent his early years living in Paris, and so he received an excellent education. From the age of five, when he was supposed to start wearing trousers, until he was 12, his mother had specially made outfits tailored for him because he had a rare congenital malformation of his genitalia, which is sometimes referred to as internal male genitalia. Gotcha. And basically, the, the penis grows inside the skin. Yeah. So it's just not out where you can see it, and so they consider it a malformation. And at this time... His mother made him wear these special frocks, which were like very loose, puffy pants. Mm -hmm. Because at that time, it was mistakenly believed that wearing loose clothing rather than trousers would allow his genitalia to emerge from where it was encased inside of his body. Okay. And I only mention this delicate fact, which I'm sure he would be mortified to have me podcasting about. Right. But I only mention it because it comes up later in the story. So he lived his life as a wealthy country gentleman. He went to boarding school at Stonyhurst. He frequently spent his holidays with his uncle, Sir Edward Doty, his wife, Lady Doty. And I'm going to have a hard time not chuckling about this one. And their daughter, Catherine, or Catty Doty. 
Caddy Doty. That's yes, fun. Caddy Doty. So Roger, our hero, and Caddy over time fell in love and they wanted to be married. Both families were bitterly against this marriage because they had other reasons. Probably most of all, they were first cousins mm-hmm. and they didn't want them to marry. But the families agreed that if Roger would embark in 1854 on a three-year tour of South America and Mexico, and if by the time he returned, Roger and Caddy still wanted to get married, the family would allow it and let them get married. Okay. Roger did as his family wanted. He boarded the ship to begin the long journey. He spent a year in South America where he had two photos made of himself, and he sent those home. And this is important later, too. Mm -hmm. Also, sadly for Roger, during this time, Caddy married a wealthy Yorkshire man. She didn't even wait for him? She didn't even wait for him. He was, you know, out of sight, out of mind, I guess. I mean, I get it, but... (laughs) Yeah. And she probably didn't even know about the the pants thing. Well, yeah. That's not something she would have ever heard about. They haven't wed yet. Roger had made it to Rio de Janeiro, and he decided that next he wanted to head to the West Indies, and he was able to purchase a very last-minute passage on board a ship called La Bella. In South America, it's probably La Bella. Anyway, he got a very last-minute ticket on this ship and it was going to take him to first Jamaica. That was where he was heading next. Probably would have loved Jamaica. It was all well and good until Labella left port and was never seen again. One empty lifeboat was eventually found, but no survivors were ever found. And over time, all hope of finding any survivors just dimmed and died and it was accepted that the ship was presumed to have sunk and all on board were presumed to have perished. So they literally never even found the main ship. They just found the lifeboat? Never found it. Interesting. Okay. Never found any wreckage of it. Never found any pieces of it. Never found the masthead floating in the water. Nothing. Back in Hampshire, Roger's mother, Lady Tichborne, having received this news, simply refused to believe that her son could have been killed because this is the heir to the family fortune. Mm-hmm. So she continued to search desperately for any word, any mention, any evidence that he might still be alive somewhere. She consulted clairvoyants who told her that her son was still alive. Somehow she believed, I think it was something the clairvoyants said, that her son Roger had ended up in Australia. Okay. Wanting to believe this to be the truth, she then placed advertisements in all the places she thought he could be including South America and in Australia, offering a hefty reward for any information about her son's location. Mm -hmm. In 1862, eight years after Roger took off on his voyage, Lord Tichborne died. And in the absence of Roger, the older son, the estate then passed down to the Tichborne's younger son, Alfred. Now Alfred's the heir. Lady Tichborne spent all her days just waiting and waiting and waiting for any word of Roger. And she ended up waiting 11 long years for some news. Wow. Finally, in 1866, so 11 and a half or so years after Roger left, a letter arrived from Australia. Although the letter had been written in poor handwriting and without the benefit of the excellent education that Roger had received, Lady Tichborne, desperately wanting to believe it to be authentic, declared that her son was alive and living in Australia. The contents of the letter were even more surprising for a member of the English aristocracy as Roger, in quotes, explained that he had been rescued at sea and then taken to Australia, which is what the clairvoyance had told to Lady Tichborne. Right, but hasn't he she had, been spreading the word to everybody that this is what she thinks happened? I think she has been. Okay. Well. I think she did it in the newspaper. Roger had been rescued at sea and taken to Australia. He had taken the pseudonym of Thomas Castro, and he had been working as a butcher in Wagga Wagga, Australia all these years. Instead of sailing back home to his inheritance, he became a butcher in a place called Wagga Wagga. He had married an illiterate housemaid that he had met there, and they now had a baby. 
Um, and that sounds like exactly what an heir would do. Instead of trying to get back home, I think he's just going to set... Well, I guess I'm here now. I have so many questions, but I'm going to let you continue till the end. Okay. <laughs> I don't think you're the only one who had questions. While most people would read these words and take this tale to be a likely scam, mm-hmm. Lady Titchborn had grieved for her son for 11 years and she just wanted him back. So she accepted it all as fact. And in 1866, Roger slash Thomas arrived in England with his illiterate wife and their baby. And I also suspect that Roger, with his high degree of education, probably isn't going to marry an illiterate woman, not teach her to read. Yeah. I don't think that that's believable. Upon their arrival at the Tichborn estate, Lady Tichborn happened to be at that time away in Paris because she had no way to know exactly when they would arrive. Roger slash Thomas spent his time while she was away becoming familiar with the locals, most of whom had known Roger as a child and then as a young man. Mm-hmm. These folks tended to agree that although he looked a lot like Roger in the face, Roger seemed to have changed a lot over this 11 or 12 years. The Roger who had left on the trip at the age of 25 had been tall, about 125 pounds, or I think they said it was nine stone, of slender build, with a long, thin face, very light brown hair, blue eyes, and a tattoo on his left arm that incorporated a cross, a heart, and an anchor. Okay, was that some kind of like royalty? No, I just think those were things that were important to him. That shocks me that they had tattoos in the 1800s, but I guess, okay. Well, I think they've had tattoos for a very long time. But just like that, for the longest time, that was for criminals, for the people that are like, oh, I'm in a gang. Or a sailor, okay, that's true. Roger slash Thomas, the newcomer, Mm -hmm. was around 335 pounds, which was 210 pounds, or at least twice of what Roger had been when he left his life of leisure. don't judge. 11 years will do some damage to your body. I've gotten 50 in the last three so I got it but he now had a very large round face with big jowls and light wavy hair he had no tattoo what color your eyes did you say he blue had? okay still blue okay I was gonna say if that changed then we know yeah the local blacksmith thought this man was either not Roger or he had undergone some major transformations <laughs> his comment was if you are so Roger you've changed from a racehorse to a cart horse <laughs> in American If you are Sir Roger, you've changed from a racehorse to a cart horse. (laughs) But Roger slash Thomas, now he's taken to calling himself Sir Roger, went to Paris to meet up with Lady Tichborn, his mother. Mm -hmm. He insisted that their first meeting needed to be in his darkened hotel room, claiming that he was feeling ill and the light would bother his eyes. So he reportedly, during this first meeting and several meetings thereafter, made very obvious glaring mistakes in his comments about where he went to school, what he studied in school, his grandfather, things that anybody that hasn't completely cracked their head open and lost their memory, Mm -hmm. you're going to remember those things. Yeah. But Lady Tichborn was so delighted to have Roger back that she gave him the benefit of the doubt. She said about him that he was confusing everything as if in a dream. I mean, what a sweet lady. She just wants him to be Roger so badly. And that's the one thing that's making me not go, this lady's a nut. It's like clearly the grief yes. has just it made her overlook everything. Well, she lost her son with no clear resolution to mm-hmm. what really happened to him. Her husband died. And you'll find out in a minute that her other son died too. Her this- other son died too right before this. But we'll get back to that. Lady Tichborn immediately began paying him an allowance of a thousand English pounds per year. Uh, and I don't think that was a huge amount. I think it's $22,000 in today's money or something mm-hmm. like that. 
I tried to do it, but I don't know where you guys go to find that information. Transferred it to dollars at that time, and then I transferred dollars at that time to dollars at this time. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that important. So he wasn't getting a huge amount of money, but he was getting a lot more money than he was probably making as a butcher. Well, it's still a decent amount. It if is. that's on top of what you're already making, I'll take it. Well, he's not going to be a butcher anymore. Right. Why would he come here and do all this if he was wanted to still be a butcher? As for the rest of the family, Lady Tichborn was the only one who believed that this was Roger. Mm -hmm. The rest of the family thought he was a total fraud and they wanted no part of him. Roger slash Thomas lived in comfort for the next couple of years until, unfortunately, Lady Tichborn died in 1868. The Doty and Tichborn family then renounced him and cut off his annual allowance. He was running out of money and so in 1871, he was still trying to get the inheritance. So he brought forth a civil case against the Tichborns to prove his identity and to claim their lands as the rightful heir. Mm -hmm. A minute ago, I mentioned that the younger son had died too. Although Roger's younger brother, Alfred, had inherited the estate, he had died in 1866 at the age of 27, leaving the estate to his pregnant wife. And then she later gave birth to a son who then became the heir. Okay. So when the civil case was launched in 1871, Roger's nephew, the heir to the family estate, was about five years old. So he was just a little guy. Yeah, but back in the day, they used to make them the king. So So the trial went on for 102 days, which was a very long trial, Mm -hmm. at the end of which his claim was rejected. And since his testimony was found to be lies and totally not credible, he was then, then immediately arrested for perjury. This criminal trial was even longer than the first one. In order to prove that Roger slash Thomas had lied under oath, there was much evidence gathering required all the way from England to Wagga Wagga, Australia, all the way to South America. Mm -hmm. Beginning in April 1873, this trial went on for 188 days and ended in February 1874. And I read that it was the longest English trial, but I don't know if that was only then or if that record still stands. But 188 days for a trial is a very, very, very long time. Yeah, especially back in that time. For sure. Roger slash Thomas produced over 100 witnesses who did believe that he resembled Roger in his facial features. Mm -hmm. And they thought it was conceivable that he could have gained that weight in that amount of time. I'm sure that it's very possible to gain 220 pounds in 12 years. Yeah. That's not out of the question. Mm -hmm. These people who testified for him included army officers who had served with him. And the facial resemblance also convinced many of Roger's childhood friends and some of the locals. So some people were buying it. Mm -hmm. Another bit of evidence that he presented at trial was that, as I mentioned, Roger had suffered a rare congenital malformation, internal male genitalia, and Roger slash Thomas also happened to have that. And I believe that only happens in less than 5% of the population. So the fact that he looked like him in the face mm-hmm. and had this condition, that convinced a lot of people as well. Interesting. But during questioning, he might have had something going for him as far as all the witnesses in his favor. But during questioning, Roger slash Thomas was asked to reveal the contents of a specific sealed package that he had left prior to his departure for South America. Mm-hmm. He had left it with a friend and the friend was told, don't open this. Oh, that's right. Okay. Roger, upon answering this question, totally outraged and made very bitter enemies of the upper class because what he claimed in court was that he had had sexual relations with his cousin Caddy prior to his embarking on the South America trip. And then he stated that the package contained instructions on her possible confinement if she were to become pregnant to sully a lady's reputation 
at that time was completely unforgivable. Mm-hmm. And there was no evidence that that was the truth. And she had gone off and married another man. So to put her in the position of being attacked like that in court, he really brought a lot of enemies upon himself. I mean, I don't want to say he's gone too far because clearly he's gone too far before this. Yeah, everything was too far. this is a step in the very wrong direction. Yes. So Caddy is still alive at this point. She is. Okay. As far as I know, yes. I was going to say, because it would be almost worse if she wasn't even there to defend herself. I don't like, think she had to, true. because the instant that came out of his mouth, it sounded like people were scandalized by it, but mm-hmm. at the same time, I don't think anyone thought that was the truth. Okay, so there, it's more just making him look like an ass on the yeah. stand rather than... So in the end, the scales were tipped because of many things. The disgust mm-hmm. that the aristocracy now had towards him because of this faux pas with the sealed box, his coarse mannerisms, his mistakes about Roger's family, his childhood, his lack of education, his inability to speak French, which Roger could speak fluently because he had spent his early years in Paris. Hmm, would you look at that? (laughs) Would you look at that? It turned out that there was evidence brought that even the name he had been using in Australia was testified to be fraudulent. Thomas Castro was not, in fact, from Wagga Wagga. Evidence was presented that he had been born as Arthur Orton in Wapping, Australia in 1834. So he's not even the same age as Roger. He's five years younger than Roger would have been. So he had gone to sea as a boy. He was probably sent to sea. His parents probably sent him off. Get out of the house, go earn some money or something. And when he returned, he became part of a cattle rustling and horse thieving gang that also committed many other types of crimes, including murder. Arthur Orton slash Thomas Castro slash fake Roger, mm-hmm. he was quite a handful. He had lived quite a lifestyle amongst these criminals. He had no education, basically. Mm-hmm. He was unable to pick up on the normal social niceties that are required by English aristocracy, and so he just stuck out like a sore thumb. Yeah. At some point after being in this criminal gang in Australia, he had decided to marry, he became a butcher, and... Years later, when he heard about the advertisements placed by Lady Tichborne, he thought, this is the way for me to get out of this unpleasant life I'm in. Hmm. So people were fascinated with all this scandalous testimony. During the trial and afterwards, the whole country was riveted with this case. The Tichborne claimant, as he was called, was a national celebrity. Infamous more than famous, but he was a national celebrity. The trial was just the blockbuster of its time. All the newspapers wrote about it. They even published special editions to update readers to the newest happenings. Make sure everybody knew what was going on every single day. The Tichborne claimant was a frequent and popular guest at dinner parties. Everyone wanted to be able to brag that he had been a guest in their home. There were etchings done and sketches made and cartoons were being published daily to depict the scenes in the courtroom. There were ceramic pottery figure groups that were made that recreated the main players in the courtroom. There were candles made in his image shape to look like him and they would just set them on the table. He got fan mail from women who found him attractive. People collected photos of him and the Tichborn family like modern day baseball cards. This trial became a huge part of daily life at that time and everybody knew about it and everybody had an opinion about it. But after all of the sensationalism, after all the bizarre testimony, the witnesses, the pop culture that became inherent in daily life, the man calling himself Sir Roger Tichborne, a.k.a. Thomas Castro, who was now evidenced to really be Arthur Orton, was declared to be a fraud, and he was sentenced to 14 years at hard labor for 32 counts of perjuring himself. After 10 years in prison, Arthur Orton was released. Now disgraced, 
He's got no income. He has no prospects of finding employment. He went and sold his confession to the People newspaper for 3,000 pounds, but he immediately regretted it and retracted it. He went on the road on a tour of music halls trying to argue his case, so bringing crowds in, get some money out of that. But they started to lose interest in hearing his story, and so the crowds started falling off, and so there wasn't really any more market for him. Well, yeah, after a decade, it's yeah, you're old little... news, buddy. Exactly. There's no clear mention of what happened to his first wife and child. Mm-hmm. I imagine she ditched him and run. Got the hell out of Dodge. She probably went back to Australia, where <laughs> she had friends her. and family, you know? Yeah. People here surely didn't probably think very much of her. But after prison, he married a musical artiste. And together they had four children, all of whom, sadly, died in their infancy. Aww. Yeah, that, that was so common back then. Yeah. Terrible, but common. In poverty and destitute, he died of a heart attack at the age of 53 in 1898. Roger, had he made it home, would have been 59 at that time. Despite the crippling poverty at the end of his life, despite the infamy and the prison time, Despite what was largely thought to be his total dishonor, over 5,000 people came to his funeral, and thousands more lined the processional route to pay their respects. His coffin and plot were paid for by a London undertaker, so the Tichborne claimant was laid to rest in an unmarked grave. But at least he had a grave, right? And a coffin. Yeah. Oddly, though, there must have been some element of doubt in the minds of the Tichborne family, who had greatly benefited from this man not being Roger. They had outright rejected him, and refused to accept him as part of the family. But before he was placed in the ground, a metal plate was affixed to the coffin. And in a final twist to the decades-long mystery, the engraved plate, approved by the Tichborne family, read, Sir Roger Charles Doty Tichborne. So it was him the whole time? I don't know. I kind of don't think it was, but I don't think they were positive it wasn't. Well... They're like, just in case... We don't want to disrespect him. Well, that's kind of where my mind's going, is that maybe not necessarily that they thought that was him at all, but maybe it was more like, well, we're never, if he really did die at sea somewhere and is out there in the middle of the ocean, yeah, never to be buried, maybe we can put his memorial on this guy since he really wanted to be him so bad. Like, I think that would be worse than having no memorial. If I were Roger and this fake came here to try to take over my life and steal my family's inheritance, I think I would not want him to be buried under my name. But the family clearly wasn't 100% sure, and so it's still a little bit of a mystery as to why they did that. Was it before all of this came out, was it public knowledge that Roger had had that condition with the inverted genitalia? I don't know how Arthur... Mm-hmm. would have known that Roger had that condition. Right. I can only guess that somehow someone noticed it. But surely he must have had a valet. I think all of those people had valets back then. And mm-hmm. so he would have been being assisted getting dressed. And if someone was helping him get dressed or helping him in or out of the bath, then they would have gone, oh my God, maybe it is him because he's got that same condition. Well, you would think he would be forced to prove it in court he maybe by did. that point. Like... Maybe he did. Maybe he had to go in the back room and whip it out for the judges. But also, <laughs> is it possible to have children? Well, it must operate in some way because you can still... What did you say this is called? It's internal male genitalia. Do you want me to pause while you do medical research? It's up to you. I'll tell you what I find. Tried, but I didn't want to <laughs> try too hard and end up on some... Weird website? Yeah. 
You're going to get some weird ads now. <laughs> Don't worry. I'll call Mike without any explanation after we're done and be like, hey. Will he know that? As a man, he might. I don't know. <laughs> I would uh, bet not. Anyway. Finish so, your story. <laughs> so that's the end of my story. I just, I found it to be interesting mm-hmm. that the family clearly wasn't 100% convinced that it wasn't him. Because if yeah. they were, they had no reason to put that plate on his coffin. Yeah, it's just one of those things where I could see it going both ways, but at the same time, there's a lot of things that make me more doubtful than... Yeah, for sure. I mean, you don't... Unless you've had a head injury, mm-hmm. you don't forget how to speak an entire language that you were fluent in. You might be a little bit halty in it, you know? My German is not very good, but I haven't completely forgotten everything I ever learned. Right. And... and, and you know, you don't forget that you were educated. Yeah. <laughs> you don't forget where you went to school unless you've got total amnesia or something. It's just... But then he's got the opposite of amnesia, where now he's remembering having sex with somebody he never had sex with. So it's just... Yeah, he didn't ever say he had amnesia. Well, what I'm saying is amnesia doesn't even make sense, because now you're coming up with things that never actually happened, that you're yeah. sure happened. And it's just, okay, either you forgot everything, or you... I just think it's ridiculous to think that this guy, if he didn't lose his memory... Mm-hmm has been taken to Australia, knowing that he's the heir mm-hmm. to a baronetcy, I think it's called. And he could go back and pick up his life again, and as far as he knows, he could still go marry Caddy. Mm-hmm. But no, he's just going to stay in Australia and become a butcher. I don't know. I've heard weirder things. What was that family? I should know this. Where the son went off to the island tribe, and everybody says they cannibalized him. It was the guy, he had a really rich family, he was the heir, and then he possibly was gay. I know who you're talking about. Yes, it was a Rockefeller. Yes, Rockefeller. It was a Rockefeller, but I can't remember what his name was. But yeah, so things like that. He just didn't want to be part of it. You just have a lifestyle, or maybe you don't want to marry whoever's going to be, get you higher in society. Maybe you just say, screw this, and I would rather live out my life here. Maybe. And then you hear a lot of the people in your family have died off, and now you're the heir, and you're like, well, maybe I should go back and get that. I could see that. Maybe. But it just but, doesn't make sense with everything else. I don't believe he would forget his education. I don't believe his handwriting would suddenly become terrible. Mm-hmm. But I could see where if you're like, okay, I want to do something blue collar now. Yeah. I don't want to have to be hoity-toity and, and dress up in a three-piece suit every day. And I don't want to have to shine my shoes. I'm going to go. I'm going to cut meat and... That's going to be my life. And marry the, wo- there's the nothing- common woman I want to marry. Yeah, there's <laughs> there's nothing wrong with wanting a simple life. Mm-hmm. But that's a hard life, too, especially in the 1800s. Yeah, but he probably didn't grow up with any struggles. So now he's like, oh, this is kind of interesting. <laughs> so oh I can see it. We are really going too far with this. I but know. I just had a quick story because I got on Instagram yesterday on my personal account. And I don't get on there very often because mm-hmm. I don't care about my personal account. <laughs> And people follow me and I never do anything there. And it's like, why am I even on here? But nevertheless, you know when you get messages from people and then they go into your requested messages folder because you don't follow them. Right, yeah. So there was a guy who apparently sent me a message request a couple weeks ago, but I hadn't been on there and I never check them. I only go there to promote our stuff, to share our stuff. So Mm -hmm. I just found it yesterday, this message they had sent me. And I read the message, which was innocuous and it was nice enough. It's just, you know, saying, hey, how are you? Hope you're well. Which is fine, but I was curious. So I looked at his Instagram pictures to see who is this guy sending me a message out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. 
And the pics were pretty normal. Him sitting at a table with some other guys, him standing and smiling, and then there's a sunset picture and then some food. And then I'm scrolling through just like the 10th pic back, and there's this dark photo. It's just a guy standing there, but all you can see is like from just above his elbow down to his knees. And he's standing there. I don't know if it's the same guy. It didn't show his face. But the hand is wearing a leather driving glove, and in the hand is a bloody hammer. A bloody hammer. It's the only picture like this in his Instagram. Okay. And there was no caption. There was no context at all. I don't have any idea if that was a costume or I was something like say, that. Was it posted but, around Halloween? <laughs> but cheese and rice. To mm-hmm. randomly message somebody out of nowhere, it just, it kind of freaked me out a little bit. What the hell? I'm positive it was a costume of some sort, but come on, put it in some kind of context. It was creepy. Okay, well, once we're done, I'm going to look this guy up it if was, you still have his at. Yeah, it was super creepy. <laughs> and I know right out of there. Let me see. If, okay, so what do you think? Bailey looked him up. All of his pictures are him just casually. This one, he looks like he's about to go on a day at the safari. He's just chilling <laughs> with his flowers. Oh, yeah, and there's some, like, stuffed animal pictures. Yeah, and then it's just him holding a hammer. I don't... It just... It was creepy. I mean, I like a good joke as much as anybody, but that just creeped me out because this guy, I don't know him, and he's sending me stuff, and I just... I noped out, and I will not be accepting that Well, what we message. need to do is have me send him a message. Leave my mommy alone. No, even creepier. <laughs> Picture of you holding a bloody saw. Okay. We'll work on it, but... <laughs> I don't want you ruining my saws. You gotta out-creep the creeps. That's what I like to say. So I think we are at the end of our episode 22. Yeah. I survived the hammer man. Well, so far. (laughs) We'll see next week. We did just want to give shout-outs to our awesome friends over at... Picture the Scene and Crime de la Crime. Also to Crime Scenes and Cupcakes with Marianne. Mm-hmm. So, so if you have a chance to check any, any of them out wherever you find your podcasts. Yep. As usual, find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at True Crime BNB. Yes. Or you can send us an email at truecrimebnbpod at gmail.com. We appreciate the people who have recently given us ratings and reviews. That's always appreciated. It helps us a lot. And for every rate and review that we get, we will give Puss five treats. Don't let her fool you. We give Puss 50 treats a day now. So it's nope, a very we're small starving increase. Her. We are starving her. It's this a, cat will starve. It's a small increase. <laughs> You're a bad salesperson. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much for being here today. We are going to cut out of here now, and we will see you next week. See you next week for episode 23. All right. See you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. So, 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 the kind of mystery, 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 mystery. It's not the kind of mystery you think. <laughs> hear her snoring. I do hear her snoring. So, so, 